0: we are here. No, we're not going to talk about the Tech OU game. We all know how that worked out. Well, in the last several times that we've been together... um, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've, I've tried to cover about every angle of the cross that we possibly can. Uh, with six hours, one Friday, um, the two tombstones. Uh, we even got you know a little bit into uh, the Game of Thrones, and that I thought was a, an interesting observation. The Golden Goblet uh, tonight. <clears throat> I want to talk about what really happened on the cross. I know you've heard many, many lessons on the cross. And um, it's not that I'm going to share something specifically new with you tonight, but I'm going to share something which I believe is valuable. And we constantly need to be reminded of it as... um, Brothers and sisters in Christ. In John 19 and verse 30, we read this When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Jesus died for our sins. The cross represents our forgiveness, our freedom, our redemption, our sanctification. You know, we love it so much that there was a time when, you know, churches were really decked out with crosses. Some still are. There was a time when houses had crosses hanging in them. Some still do. Crosses are worn as jewelry, both by male and female. Probably one of the uh, nicer pieces of jewelry outside of stones that are sold through a jewelry store. But the picture of the pure Lamb of God hanging on that cross that we deem so precious, what we really see is the unthinkable. We see the Son of God naked, beaten, bruised, bleeding profusely, all before a watching world. In all honesty, it was a ghastly sight. It was the most horrendous, moment in human history. You know, no death was more scandalous than death on a cross. Such a death was dreadful. It was hideous. Crucifixion was designed to discredit and to tarnish the memory of the one dying. You see, death by crucifixion was a sign that the person hanging on a cross cross was being punished for The worst of evils. Blood drenched Jesus' torso. It's pouring from His head, His brow. It's running like rivers from deeply torn flesh in His hands and His feet. The picture of medieval art where it just shows a few little drops of blood on His wrist and on His ankles is really a disgrace for what really was taking place. Because from a medical standpoint, More than likely in the first hour of crucifixion, he probably lost between three and four pints of blood. The effect of the scourging that Jesus had received in Pilate's palace began to take its toll. What happens? The body swells up. It becomes horribly discolored. His eyes were matted with blood. It's pouring from the wounds in his brow. Both eyes have been beaten shut by soldiers, shoulders as raw as ground beef, lips that are bloody and split, patches of hair that have been sh- yanked out of his beard by callous soldiers, and gasp of air escaping from his lungs. So the whole scene was ugly. It was unsightly. It was repulsive. It was sickening. It was vile. It was foul. It was revolting. In the Jewish world, nakedness was a particularly profound shame. Because the body was made in the image of God, the Jewish people believed that it was a great dishonor to display a naked body. And so if Jesus' suffering had not already been enough, likely... He experienced the ultimate act of degradation and shame as he hung on the cross naked and exposed before the watching world unfold the haram. Now, we're not sure. Can't be absolutely sure, but the Romans may have made an exception, you know, uh, for this Jew. Maybe they did allow a loincloth, but there is no proof. That's just art that we see. Jews wanted the ultimate humiliation. However, the Romans may have made an exception, knowing, as Pilate said, he is the king of the Jews. However, keep in mind, there's not any mention in Scripture of Jesus wearing a loincloth, and neither was the loincloth divided up with the other garments that the soldiers wagered for Approximately 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah had prophesied Jesus' appearance on that cross. That prophecy begins in Isaiah 52 and verse 14. The prophet wrote with a sense of horror. He said, as many as were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred, beyond that of any man, and his form more than the sons of men. What's that saying? It's saying that he was unrecognizable. Further conformed in Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 2. He had no form. He had no comeliness, which means that he no longer had any natural beauty. He no longer had natural appearance. And when we shall see Him, there's no beauty that even we would desire Him. One translation says that His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and His form marred beyond human likeness. In Isaiah 53, 3-5, through five, in the well-known passage, He is despised and rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows, he was acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, we esteemed him not, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace is upon Him and with its stripes we are healed. So when Jesus died on that cross, He experienced every hurt, every pain, every sorrow, every grief, every humiliation, and every rejection that we're going to have in this life. He bore our griefs. You know, we've all lived long enough to find out that life is filled with grief. Mostly that grief comes from things that are beyond our control. But it's the grief of things that happen where we just want to rip our insides out. It hurts so deeply. He carried our sorrows. Life is filled daily with sorrow. You see, life presents us constantly with disappointments, with concerns, with heartache, these are events, in most cases, that we cannot escape. He was wounded then for our transgressions. On every one of our sins is written His name. You see, all of your sins belong to Him. He takes every sin, every guilt, every shame, every regret, every mistake that we make in life, and He puts His name on each one. It's important that we understand that He's not only the sin offering, He is the sin. He became sin in order to be the sin offering. So, on every one of our sins, He's actually removed our DNA and He has engraved His. He was then bruised for our iniquities. What does bruising come from? Well, it's usually the result of experiencing something painful. You see, bruising, though, often sets in hours later. And where bruising occurs, well, the pain increases from the slightest touch. If you've ever seen accident victims or you've seen victims of domestic abuse, they often require large dosage of pain medication That's due to the bruising and the internal injury. Then He was chastised for our peace. The chastisement means to punish by beating. It doesn't mean a rebuke. Then He was scourged for our healing, which is to whip as punishment by flogging. By flogging severely and the intention is to inflict severe suffering. So, as Jesus approaches death, the Bible tells us that they gave Him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, in Matthew 27 and 34. A man who was going to be crucified, he could request a narcotic, mingled together with wine, which would alleviate the pain from the crucifixion. But in all honesty... It wasn't given to alleviate the pain. It was given to extend the period of suffering so that people could endure it even longer. If you recall, when Jesus had died at 3 o'clock in the afternoon after 6 hours, the high priest was concerned because most didn't completely die for 8 hours. So... That was the purpose in giving them their narcotic, so that the pain could continue on. In the word gall is a Greek word. It refers to a painkiller. It's mingled together with wine. So in John 19 and 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, He said, it is finished. And He bowed His head and He died. I want us to focus on those three words. It is finished. It means to bring to conclusion. It means to complete. It means to accomplish. It means to fulfill. But the Greek word telos means something has arrived at completion, at maturity. And there are four uses of the word. And it's very important in understanding I think John 19 in verse 30. This word has great significance with the defining moment of Christ's sacrifice. It was not Jesus saying He was finished. You know, there's many people who believe that. He's finished. He's going to die. But He was declaring the completeness of His finished ministry of His finished purpose. And it's that that I want to explain. Number one, this was Jesus' declaration that He had finished the work that the Father had sent Him to do. The work now having been fully completed, Jesus bows His head and dies. When a servant was sent on a, sent on a mission, he then later returns to his master and he would say to his master, Telelestai, meaning to his master, I have done exactly what you sent me to do. Or I've done exactly what you requested. The mission is now complete. The mission is accomplished. It was like when Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac. In that moment when Jesus cries out, It is finished. He was declaring to the entire universe that He had faithfully fulfilled the Father's will and that the mission was now accomplished. No wonder He shouted. This was the greatest victory in the history of the human race. He had been faithful to the assignment that the Father had given Him even in the face of unfathomable challenges. But now the fight is over and Jesus could cry out to the Father, Father, I have done exactly what You asked me to do. The mission is accomplished. The second use of the word, telelesti. It was the equivalent of the Hebrew word spoken by the high priest when making the yearly offering on the Day of Atonement. That was the day when the high priest, under fearful trembling, would enter beyond the veil of the Holy of Holies, and offer up the blood of sacrifice for the annual remembrance of sins. You see, when Jesus hung on that cross, He was both Lamb and High Priest. And so, in that holy moment, as our great High Priest, Jesus offered His own blood for the permanent removal and the blotting out of sin. He offered up the perfect sacrifice of which every mosaic sacrifice was a type and a symbol. And in that instant, there remained no more need of offering for sin. So when Jesus entered the holy place and He offers His own blood, a sacrifice that was so complete that God never again would require the blood of lambs for forgiveness, so stated in Hebrews 9 and verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats or calves, but by His own blood, He entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Thus, when Jesus said, It is finished, He was declaring the end of sacrifice, because the ultimate sacrifice had finally been made. Atonement was completed. It was perfected. It was fully accomplished. It was done once and for all. Finished forever. Now, we live in a time in which many believers and churches no longer really believe in the atonement. There are churches where the blood of Jesus is never mentioned. Well, what do they do? Oh, they sing Jesus loves me. And then they believe somehow that that's the story of redemption. It is a damnable heresy to deny the atonement. To deny the atonement is to make the cross just another criminal being executed. Then number three. In a secular sense, The word telelestai was used in the business world. It was used to signify the payment of a debt. You see, when a debt had been fully paid, the parchment upon which it had been recorded, well, it was stamped with the word telelestai, which meant the debt had been paid in full. I mean, is there any better feeling then to see that note, that mortgage, that debt, especially when they used to do it and you would get that back and it would be stamped, usually in red, paid in full. I mean, what a document. I mean, got to be the best feeling in the world. So this means that once a person makes Jesus the Lord of their life, they personally accept His sacrifice, repenting of their sins, no debt, of sin exists for that person any longer. Well, what happens to the debt? The debt is blotted out. The debt is removed. The debt is canceled, is forgiven because Jesus paid the price for sin that no sinner could ever pay not a matter of our feeling. Some people, I've heard people say, well, I just don't feel like I'm forgiven or I don't feel like I'm saved. It's it's not a feeling. It's a matter of fact. It's a matter of faith. Jesus took our place. He paid the debt of sin we owed. And when we by faith repent of our sins, we receive Him as Lord, we are set free. We're then joined and united with Christ in baptism as a sign of our death to the power and the control of sin. It's a declaration of our faith in the completed work and the atonement of Jesus Christ in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of our sins. Colossians 1.14 Baptism then becomes a sign that our sins are washed away by His blood as declared in Revelation 1-5. I, uh, there's a new translation now. It's called the pure word. It's supposedly the most accurate Greek translation uh, of the word. So I look up Revelation 1 and 5, and this is what it, how it reads. You washed away our sin nature and sins in your blood. Can you make it any clearer than that? Revelation 1.5, the pure word. So when Jesus uttered those words, it is finished, He meant it. It was the declaration that the debt of sin is paid in full. Number four, when Jesus declared it is finished, He had reference to a new covenant. It was the turning point in the entire history of mankind. At that moment, the old covenant was nailed to the cross. The new covenant began. The Old Testament did not cease. It is understanding that the cross was the great divide in human history. So when Jesus cries out, it is finished, He was shouting that the Old Testament system of sacrifices had ended and a new covenant had begun as prophesied in Jeremiah 31, 31 31-34. So in that divine moment, all the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus' ministry were fulfilled. The justice of God had been fully met and satisfied by the Lamb of God. At that moment, 3 o'clock p.m., the veil of the temple is rent from top to bottom, the sacrifices of the Old Testament are permanently terminated, For the perfect sacrifice had laid down His life for the salvation of mankind. Jesus' uh, mission was accomplished and thus He cried out that His task was complete. So, never forget, because Jesus was willing to offer His own blood for the full payment of our sinful debt, we are forgiven, utterly debt-free. Justified. Jesus wrote the check for our salvation. We endorse it. I mean, that's a sign of our faith. We accept it. We receive it. We believe and we accept the divine work on our behalf and we deposit the check. The guilty are thus pardoned and they are, they're more than pardoned, they are acquitted. Paid in full has been stamped, has been engraved on our sinful record because Jesus paid the price for our redemption with His own blood. Our sinful record is expunged. It's not just forgiven. We're made righteous. We are justified. Made just as if we had never sinned. And so righteousness is both imputed, that means placed... (coughs) place to our account, but it's also imparted, the righteousness of Christ is imparted in our life by the Holy Spirit that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. Isaiah said, surely he hath borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows, and yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. So remember, if you are consumed with grief, Jesus bore our grief. If someone is overwhelmed with sorrow, remember, He carried our sorrows. If someone is trapped in a lifestyle of transgressions, He was wounded for those transgressions. If someone is living in sin, they can be forgiven because He was bruised for our iniquities. And if someone is tormented and they have no peace, remember He was chastised for our peace. If someone is physically, emotionally, or mentally sick, ready to give up, He was wounded for our healing. Jesus paid the price for our liberation, physical healing, and for our complete restoration. When the price of our forgiveness was complete, Jesus bows His head and dies. God's justice has been satisfied. Now, I've tried tonight, in a very short way, but in a very complete way, to share with you what I believe the Bible teaches of what really happened At the cross. Now I want to share this final thought with you. I shared it with you in an earlier lesson. It goes with me every day. One day we're going to come to the end. We're going to hang our swords on the jasper walls. Each step that we take brings us closer to home. And before you know it you're going to enter the city of God. You're going to hear your name spoken somewhere in the back of the room, away from all of the noise. The one who would rather die for you than live without you is going to remove his nail-scarred hands from his heavenly robe and welcome you home. So tonight, as you peer into the crimson face of heaven's only Son, Remember this, God commendeth his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 and verse 8. Let's pray. My wonderful Jesus, when I survey the wondrous cross, on which the Prince of Glory died, I'm left speechless. What a debt we owe for your unsearchable riches. Your love for us is, it's beyond my imagination. It's limitless. It's infinity. I give myself to you. I accept your unconditional Love for me. You are mine and I am yours. I ask that your love would change me. Make me into the person that you always dreamed that I would be. Thank you for being mine no matter what. And thank you that it is finished, that my sin is paid in full.